Waking up to ash and dust I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust I'm breathing in the chemicals I'm breaking in, shaping up Then checking out on the prison bus This is it, the apocalypse Whoa, I'm waking up I feel it in my bones Enough to make my systems blow Welcome to the new age To the new age Welcome to the new age To the new age Whoa, whoa, whoa I'm radioactive, radioactive Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm Welcome to Mondays with Millie A podcast about the past, with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Christofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history, which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs. And challenges. My bones enough to make my systems blow. Welcome to the new age, to the new age. Welcome to the new age, to the new age. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm radioactive, radioactive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm radioactive, radioactive. All systems go. The sun hasn't died deep in my bones, straight from inside I'm waking up. I feel it in my bones, enough to make my systems blow. Welcome to the new age, to the new age. Welcome to episode three, season nine of Mondays with Millie. In this episode, we test Millie's and your memory of the Mondays with Millie podcast with a series of quiz-type questions. What can you remember from each series? Can you keep up or will you be shown up by Lancashire's sharpest nonagenarian? Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. Radioactive, radioactive, whoa. Celebrating almost to the day, uh, one year of the Mondays with Millie podcast. Can you believe that 12 months ago, uh, and I believe it was around the 5th of October last year, <laughs> the first episode, episode one, season one of Mondays with Millie went live across the world. How do you feel about a year of Mondays with Millie? Millie? Well, I, I can't believe it really, it's just flown, but I, I can say this, that that podcast, I think, has helped me to, um, well, it's helped my brain to stay alive, because 
it's made me remember things that I'd long forgotten. And until you prompted me by asking certain questions, uh, I would never have probably thought of, you know. And so I've enjoyed listening to them. Uh, didn't particularly enjoy listening to my voice, of course, but uh, I enjoyed listening to things. They brought back memories. And I do think it's been very helpful to me um, physically and mentally, you know, to, to keep me going over these these last few difficult months. So thank you for that, Phil. Oh, it's my pleasure. I And I get something out of it too, Millie. Don't worry about that. It's... Um, uh, it's I love history and I love your you and I love your story and I've listened to your story um, for all the years we've known each other and I've hung on every word. So it just gives me great pleasure in doing it. So thank you. I also wanted to say thank you to all the people who've listened in to my story. Uh, it's been It's been lovely, really thinking about you and I'm just so amazed that so many people from so many different countries have tuned in to, to Mondays with Millie. Now, this episode we're going to take a little bit of a different tack and I've prepared uh, a series of quiz questions and uh, we're going to quiz <laughs> Millie on her memory of what she's told us so far and we'll see whether... No, no, we're not going to trip her up, but we'll just see see whether she can she knows the <laughs> answers to the questions of her own life, which I assume she will. But but uh, this is these are also questions for the audience to have a think about. So of all the episodes and uh, and the the story that you know of Millie's life throughout each of the series of each of the decades, um, what do you remember? So this these are questions for you to think about as well all right so how are you millie before we start i'm fine thank you better than the weather it's a miserable day here today oh, oh is it well <laughs> it's a good it's a good day to record a podcast I'd it say. is <laughs> fabulous well let's start with question one so question one pertains to the 1930s all right question one what was winston churchill's unusual hobby. Now I'm going to give the the audience a little bit of time to think about each of these questions. I'll ask that question again. What was Winston Churchill's unusual hobby? hobby? Think back to season one. Yes. Of Monday's that, that, was, um, that was bricklaying. Now... <laughs> Now, this is such an unusual thing, and I, I, I almost, well, it's not that I didn't believe you, but I actually looked up this up and researched it when you when you told this part of the story, and it was actually recorded somewhere that he was, he had a strong interest in bricklaying. Why on earth do you think he had an interest in bricklaying, and what? <laughs> haven't the faintest. <laughs> haven't the faintest. Um, my, my father was out of work, as a lot were in the early 1930s, and he was um, uh, he was a member of the con local conservative club in Manchester. And uh, they they asked him. Um, they said um, Sir Joseph Knoll was the MP, and he lived in a beautiful house in Wally Range, which is a terrible district now, but was beautiful then. Large houses, big walled gardens. 
and he said um he said to my father um harry he said winston's coming up for the weekend and he wants to do a bit of brick uh, bricking could you find somebody who's out of work who would mix the cement for him and of course he'll get paid and my father had kept it a secret for a long time that he was out of work you see it was pride my mother's pride mainly and he, so he said well well actually I could do that for him and he said no 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 someone someone who's out of work and of course dad said well I'm out of work anyway needless to say he was soon in a job after that but um that's another story but um he did go and mix the cement for Winston while he he I believe he was repairing a brick wall, something like that. Did he say he was a nice man? A, an in, he was engaging and. Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, Winnie was. They called him Winnie. He was. Uh, he was quite a jovial man. He, he, I know he had, what he called his black dog. Uh, times, you know, when he got depressed, but um, he was a very friendly man. And he was very much loved. He really was. Mm. Well, each each question. And this, can I just say, this of course would be when he wasn't in government. Really, he was more or less. I think whether he was an MP or not, I'm not sure. But he certainly wasn't um, high up at all in government at that time. Well, with each of these quiz questions, there's a follow up question for you to ponder and think about. Uh, and for that. Uh, for question one, my follow-up question is, what was the best and also the hardest thing about the 1930s, about before the war, but living through or the depression, post-depression, what was the the best <coughs> and also the hardest thing at that time? Well, it was just happy. We always had a load of presents at Christmas. We always had a pillowcase full of presents. We always got what we'd asked Father Christmas for. Uh, it didn't, you know, it was it was just a very happy time. It, it, we didn't have, if, if Mother and Father struggled a bit with money, we never realised that. Mm. And of course, my mother, my mother had started work um, at the university as the catering supervisor and she worked there. Well, when my father was out of work, she got a job and she liked it so much that she stayed on, I should think, for about five years, even though she didn't need to after dad got a job, you know, she liked it so much. And of course, we had two grandmas living with us. So I think she was quite happy to get out of the house <laughs> well, and leave them, <laughs> leave them to organise the domestic side. Well, if you were, if you say you were, it was a fairly blissful childhood and you weren't really aware of hardship, what was the hardest thing? Did, did, does that come with a bit of reflection or you just weren't really, you don't remember any hard times during that period at all? Really the first hard time of talk, the first awful thing I remember was, um, King George V dying. It, that was, I think it was January, it must have been 1936. I remember grandmas and mother and even my father crying, and it was a very, very unhappy oh, time, you know. 
and I do remember that vividly. Wow, they 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 got upset about a monarch dying. Yes, yes. Is that because of him and the way people felt well, about him? Well, he was him? very well loved and respected. Right. He really was. Yeah. You know. Hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, there was the unhappy time when his eldest son, of course, didn't want to be king. Hmm. And in 1937, May 1937, his brother, his second brother, George, uh, well, he wasn't called George then, we called him Bertie, but um, he became George the Sixth, and uh, he and his wife were not expecting that at all. That's our Queen's mother and father, mm. and uh, he had a speech impediment at the time, which he overcame mm. very bravely. Yeah, uh, but it was that was a, a very worrying time, and I do think people. I remember hearing discussions about what sort of job he would make of it, and would he be able to do it, and you know. People did worry about things like that in those days. Mm. And, of course, he became a wonderful king as well. He took us through the war. He took us through the war and he grew. He grew in stature through the war, the way he behaved and and everything, and his family, you know. Mm. Mm. And it was a state... He was. He made the country feel stable. Mm. Do, you, do you understand what I mean? Yes, yes, and good good leaders do that, don't they? In hard times, they bring stability. Yes, yes. Right? he and, did. And that's what we look for in, in tough times. We do. Mm. All right, yes. so, so question two is, uh, relates to the war period. Uh, during the war, there was a particular time when yourself and Harry had to sleep rough. So, audience, I want you to think about that one. When did, think back to the first series and uh, Millie talking about the war period. Uh, When did Millie and Harry have to sleep rough? What's the answer to that question, Millie? Well, we slept on a billiard table in the Rockcliffe Hotel on the promenade, which had been um, requisitioned by the government for offices. And that was where, that was my father's office. Uh, his department was called the Unemployment Assistance Board. And they occupied the Rockcliffe for a number of years. And that's where we slept that night because... Um, you know, I, I did tell you that our house was requisitioned as we were moving from one house to another. Uh, they used to do this in those days, empty house, right? We'll requisition that for a key worker. Mm. And when we got there, there was a police cordon around the house. We couldn't get in. And actually, our furniture was in store for four years mm. before yeah. we got our own home. And that's another story so because it to... was damaged and all those sorts of things, wasn't it? So... Um, well, yes, and we, we had to move from one place to another. And it, after my mother died in 1943, it became more difficult. And we, we stayed in one place. And this this lady, uh, we hadn't been there all that long. And she, she took a fancy to my father and she asked him to marry her. And when he told her that he'd no intention of ever marrying again, it, because he'd had the best... Um, she kicked. She kicked us out, 
the problem was that I was at the pictures with a boyfriend. I was 14 at the time. And um, I was he, when we came out of the pictures, my father was stood there waiting for me. It didn't bother me in the least. And Dad went, oh, that's my dad. And the boy I was with, Jackie Topping. Jackie Topping, He turned yes. and fled. <laughs> so, so can I ask you as a follow-up question, what was your lowest point during the war? Was it was it about the fortunes of the country and how the country was performing, or was it something a bit more personal than that? In the September, um, my mother was in hospital, having investigations done, and uh, we we got the word from Aunt Nellie that my cousin Buddy had been his plane had been shot down, and he was missing, believed killed, and. Uh, Mum came out of hospital and Dad said, you mustn't tell her. I will tell her. Nobody to say anything. And then, of course, because we were all so fond of Buddy, he was lovely. And he was um, a rear gunner on a Lancaster bomber, sergeant, flight sergeant. And um, she was very distraught. And, of course, Terry was going to go, as he thought, in air crew. Uh, and he was 16 then, and uh, I think she worried about him going in the forces. And then she died that year on New Year's Eve, 1943. So those were the two turning points for me. Mm. You got a double whammy there, didn't you? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Question number three. What were you doing when JC walked into your life? And this was after after having gone out with him as a teenager. He entered, right. re-entered your life later on <coughs> in adulthood. And uh, audience, have a think about what was Millie doing? What were the circumstances? What was Millie up to when <laughs> JC jumped in, in back onto the scene, came back into the frame? What's the answer to that one? Well, I was I was uh, setting out swimwear in a, a, a window, window dressing <laughs> at the uh, fashion showrooms I worked for. And uh, he walked past and in a moment... Well, he knocked on the window. He spotted me, he knocked on the window. And I hadn't seen him for about 18 months. And he joined the Navy. And... Uh, I I looked I partly looked up and I could see these bell bottoms, you know, the naval trousers they were used to wear, very wide legs. I don't know if they still do. And um so I wasn't certainly wasn't going to look at this sailor. I didn't know he joined the navy, you see. Um, but my boss was stood at the back watching me, Mr. Nate Lyons. And he said, um, the navy's trying to attract your attention. And I just said, I know, and kept my head down. <laughs> and he said, he's a very nice looking boy. <laughs> so then I looked up and it was John, of course, Johnny, as I used to call him in those days. So he said, you'd better go and talk to him, you know. <laughs> and, and that was, and that was a, a moment. Um, now, can I ask you, if you'd not 
If that hadn't have happened, that sliding door moment, what might have happened in your life, do you think? Well, of course, I, I don't know who, well, I, I, I know who I would probably have married but instead, but um, the thing was, I, I was still only 16 and he was 19, so I had a long way to go. I mean, I was 29 when I eventually married him, you know. Mm. <laughs> so how old were you when you saw him in the window? 16. Oh, you were 16. Oh, I was 16, is... yes. Oh, right, okay. And then I didn't see him. Well, I didn't see him for 10 years because he ditched me. Yes, that's right. We went out with each other a year and then he ditched me because I wasn't really old enough. He he, sw- he said, he wrote to me and said he thought we were too young to be serious. And I thought, well, who said I'm serious? I mean, well, he was at, well, he was away in the Navy. He certainly, he must have thought I was sat at home writing letters all the time. And I wasn't. I was out enjoying myself and... I used to go to the Winter Gardens dancing and meet different people, you know. So so, <laughs> so when he came back into your life? It was 10 years later. 10 years later. Well, where did you yeah. see him for the first time 10 years later? How did you get in contact with each other? Well, I was outside at RHO Hills, a big department store we had. It was a very rainy day and I was choosing. By that time, I'd been married and... My first husband had left me, yes. and it only lasted four years, that marriage, and I had a three-year-old son, and I was, I'd was i been saving up to buy him a train set, and I stood there, and I couldn't re- decide whether to get the goods train or the passenger train, and this person next to me was chucking it down with rain. He suddenly said, gosh, how many years, and you haven't changed a bit. And I thought, well, whoever this is, he's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, it was John. <laughs> yes. And we went out with each other for a short time. And then it dwindled off a bit. And then another year passed before we met. He- well, what happened was <laughs> two years passed, I'm afraid. I'm rambling on a bit here, aren't I? But it was a bit of a long thing. Two years passed. In the meantime, I met someone else and I got engaged to him. And after three weeks, I changed my mind. It wasn't the right. It wasn't right. He was a detective and he was a bit, well, let's just say it wasn't the right one. I was working as a personnel and welfare officer at Mullard's in Fleetwood at the Warrenhurst Road factory. And apparently John had been dancing. He hadn't been married. He'd had loads of girlfriends. And he'd met this girl, and she was a good dancer. And she worked at Mullard's. And um, he was chatting to her, you see, and she, gossiping. And he said, oh, I, I know someone who I think works there. Um, Doreen, he said, I think her name's Chapman now. And he'd heard that I was married, you know. And she went, oh, oh, she said, no, she said she's got engaged and she's broken it off. And he went, oh, right. And the next thing was, I got a letter from him. And I don't know who told him my address, quite frankly, because we were living at Preezall then. I never, come to think of it, I never did find out who gave him my address. Anyway, um, he wrote to me and said, uh, you know, could we meet up with each other? And he suggested the Sunday. And uh, 
the following Sunday. And I was a bit naughty because I knew he'd arranged to meet this girl on the Saturday. So I said, no, I couldn't meet him on the Sunday. I could meet him on the Saturday. <laughs> and he phoned me. I gave him the phone number. He phoned me and, you know, there's so-and-so. He said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I have a previous engagement <laughs> on the Saturday. <laughs> so I just said, oh, well, I'll probably see you around sometime then. Anyway, I changed my mind and I met him on the Sunday. He phoned again, so I met him on the Sunday. So it was quite a, an up-and-down affair, really, before we eventually got together. Thank you. 